Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you happen to be new with us this morning, my name is Brian, and I am one of the youth pastors that we have on staff here at River Oaks, and we are glad that you have all chosen to join us in worship this morning. Um, throughout the last few weeks and continuing on for another few, we are in a series that is um, inspired by a book called Soul Shaper by Keith Drury, where we draw upon biblical principles that will help us in understanding how we can observe spiritual disciplines that will further our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes I will find myself um, at a point in my life where I feel like I'm a little spiritually dry, where maybe it's not because that God is not moving, but maybe because of my own shortcomings or distractions, I just feel like my spiritual state is at a standstill. And it's through these spiritual disciplines that I believe that they can actually propel us a little bit forward in our walk with the Lord. So this is a great series for us to be taking next steps. And here's what I believe as we begin to focus on the spiritual discipline of hospitality. I believe that every person in this room and every Christian around the world has the ability to change the world. You can change the world. But you challenge that idea because maybe... Just maybe, your typical day goes a little more something like this. The alarm clock goes off, and you struggle to find the motivation just to get out of bed. Then you wake the kids and you wrangle your toddler to get him just to put on underwear underneath of his pants. You head downstairs, you make coffee and breakfast for everyone, you get the kids to the bus, you rush out the door to get yourself ready for work, and then you sit at your desk for another day of drudgery. And you realize that as you're sitting there at this desk, the extraordinarily, extraordinarily meaningful things that you wanted and aspired to do all day long that would bring of great value to everyone in the world around you has not become a reality. In fact, it actually feels a little more like a pipe dream. And after work, you commute home, you get the kids to and from the practice that they need to be at. You sit around the table, you reheat leftovers for dinner and you get a headache from your kids for them not doing the homework like you've asked them to do 16,000 times since they've been home from school. And then, once they're in bed, you spend 20 minutes browsing Netflix for a series because you have binge-watched all of the shows, and you get a message that looks a little something like this. <laughs> now, to be perfectly transparent, this is me. Like this whole entire, what I just m mentioned is me in my life. Um, but whether you are single or married or chasing around 2.5 kids or you're an empty nester, home has become a place of retreat for us. Home feels like the only place where nobody is bossing you around or telling you what to do, at least until your kids are in bed, right parents? Home has become an armed fortress of solitude. And if we were to set up a hidden camera in your living room. And if we were to have one of your neighbors come by your house and ring the doorbell, I believe that too many of us would actually fall into the trap of looking a little something like this. How 
dare that neighbor ring my doorbell. You see, it's almost as if we compartmentalize some of our lives. You know, what we've done is we have set up these different ways that we go about ourselves, these different personas that we take on depending on where we are. There's hobby you, there's friend you, there's church you, there's work you, there's home you, and nobody messes with home you. Many Christians have bought into this cultural view that our homes are personal and our private fortresses, and this has led to a divorce between the way that we view our homes and the way that we view our mission as Christians. We may understand that we are to make disciples as a part of the Great Commission. After all, Jesus mandates in Matthew chapter 28, as a part of the Great Commission, that we are to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this feels very separate from what we do with our houses. Many Christians have bought into this idea. And we've given up on the hope that we can actually change the world because when would we even have time to do that? For some of us, it's a struggle just to get our five-year-old to brush his teeth, let alone change the world. But what if I told you that you could really and actually change the world right from your very own home? You already have access to the ultimate game-changing secret weapon that will transform the entire way that you think about life as a part of God's mission. And the secret weapon of gospel advancement is hospitality. And you can practice it whether you live in a house or an apartment or a dorm or a condo. It only takes your willingness to open up your home and your life to others. Doing this is a term that we refer to as hospitality. And if we were to read the chapter in Keith Drury's book, he would state that hospitality is opening up our homes, our hearts, and lives to others in order to develop loving relationships to the glory of God. And he actually takes the, the New Testament Greek term for uh, hospitality, and he defines that for us using the Greek. He said it could literally be translated as lovers of strangers. Lovers of strangers. But biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of these cultural trends to separate and to isolate. It rejects the notion that life is best spent fulfilling our own desires and our own self-centered things that we aspire for and closed off from others in the private fortresses that we call home. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than to unplug, to open up rather than to close, to initiate rather than to sit idly. Biblical hospitality is obeying the commandment that the Apostle Paul mandates in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, which says, Welcome one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So here the Apostle Paul is telling us that in order to accept one another, one of the things that we're going to have to do is we're going to bring glory to God, but we're going to have to get past some personal things. There are some cultural trends, maybe some currents, if you will, that I think have led us to perhaps push against this idea of pursuing biblical hospitality. One of those common currents is isolation. 
um, as my grandparents stated, one, there was one time, a long time ago, neighborhoods that existed where people would sit out on their front porch and wave to one another as they came by and strike up conversations. But now with the rise of garages and pulling all the way down in the driveway, that day has seemed far beyond what it once was. We have become more and more isolated with our earbuds and with our devices that tend to take our attention instead of outward, downward. We become isolated. Another one is relaxation. How many of us at the end of the day, long stressful day of work, we love nothing more than going home and putting our feet up? Because after all, we deserve that. It's been a hard day, relaxation. Or what about here in our own um, area, especially in in the United States, this idea of being entertained? It's so easy. I mean, you've got plethora of of Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and all these different things that can allow us to be entertained. Or what about busyness? We go, we go, we go until the point of exhaustion sometimes. And that leaves no room for this idea of biblical hospitality to ever even be pursued because we are so tired. Pursuing biblical hospitality as a way of life will take a very intentional shift in your life and in mentality. The first reason, though, that I think that we should seek this out is because hospitality, is because of the hospitality that God first showed us. Think about it. The entire Bible, the gospel story of Jesus Christ, is actually a story all about God's hospitality. And in the first chapter of Genesis, we see God's hospitality on display in full creative force. He creates the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon and the oceans and fills it with all these living creatures. And then he creates the pinnacle of creation, man and woman, which he calls Adam and Eve. And he gives them everything. He provides everything that they need to thrive in his creation. And we are going to pick up in Genesis chapter one with a sneak peek into God's hospitality being put on display. Now notice the words of repetition as we read the scripture. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. It's almost as if the most gracious host in the world is welcoming welcoming us into his creation. And he says, look, it's all yours. Everything except for one thing. A tree that you should not eat from. And it didn't take very long for Adam and Eve to mess that up. In Genesis chapter 3, We would continue to see that Adam and Eve disobey God and they ate from this fruit from the one tree that they were told not to eat from. And in doing so, they were banished from the garden, which also meant that they were banished from God's presence because God cannot be in the presence of sinfulness because he is holy. But God did not choose to leave us that way. He initiated a way that he could continue to be hospitable to his followers. And God taught the Israelites his chosen people, what relationship with him was now going to entail and what community now required. The law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. 
A sacrificial system was established to shed blood for the remission of the sins and the wrongdoing. And in Leviticus, we see there are different types of offerings that were to to be made to God to restore relationship with the Creator. And even though the Israelites continually messed up, God continually showed them grace and invited them back in. And then the story culminates with one of the ultimate acts of hospitality. God sent his son through the lineage of Israel to make a way once and for all for repentant men and women and children to be reconnected to God. And in Christ, God satisfied his own demand for holiness. He substituted his holiness for ours and his holiness for our wickedness, his death for our sins, so that he could invite us back into relationship with him and to continue to care for us. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you would know, as we've read in Genesis, that God shows hospitality by giving us a garden, a dwelling place to hang out with him, to have fellowship with him, to commune with him. And then because of the fall, we messed that up. But God does not leave us that way at the end of the Bible, at the very last book. We see in Revelation that one day that relationship will be perfectly restored for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible ends in Revelation with God making a home for believers to dwell with him in a city called the New Jerusalem, which we will enter into when God calls us home or when Christ returns. So if God shows the most undeserving, the most sinful person, somebody like me, that kind of hospitality, I believe that God also shows and calls us to live that out, to be the hands and feet of such hospitable actions. And we see this if we were to read the book of Leviticus. We're going to see in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, it says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God took strangers and he made them his people. And he calls us to do the same in our vicinity. God is telling us to have fellowship and to commune with those who don't just look like us, who don't just act like us. But what would it look like if the church, if we, maybe this week sometime, began to pursue those who had different, who were of different nationalities, those who had different political viewpoints, those who cheered for a different sports team. Ah, watch out now. Those who have different lifestyle choices and treat them as you would your own tribe. And in doing so, it will bring glory to God and possibly even lead them to the foot of the cross where God can do an incredible work in their lives. Anytime we practice hospitality, we are putting flesh on the gospel and we are living this out. And we are to open our homes to both believers, but also to those who are far from God. And we, in doing so, we're going to live out as the New Testament book of Acts did. You see, in, in Acts, after Jesus um, ascended up into heaven and the Holy Spirit arrived at the day of Pentecost, there was some incredible living out of hospitality that the early church began to observe. And so often church today, we're focused on the building and the structure and we, we come to church. But the, 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 the people in the book of Acts, especially the early church, they lived out hospitality everywhere they, meant, they went. Consider this from Acts chapter 2. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and prayers. And wait, we came upon every soul and many wonders 
and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had thing, all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They lived out this idea of being hospitable on the move. And hospitality is a theology or a recognition where through simple acts, we convey the truth that the wayward sinners are made in the image of God. Where we say to those who might doubt their self-worth or might doubt their purpose, hey, I see you. You're welcome here. Pull up a chair. And if we do that type of thing for others, if we say, I see you, I believe that God will say to them, I see you too. In our increasingly frantic and disconnected society, driven by the isolation of these earbuds and mobile devices that turn us away from each other, I believe that we realize that people now more than ever are longing for depth of relationship, which is exactly what hospitality provides. In his first letter to the church of Thessalonica, once again, the Paul, Apostle Paul, he seemed to have a lot of wisdom to share about this concept of hospitality. And he said this, and I love the way that it's stated in the NIV. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Our very lives. So how is it that we as a people can follow this model that Paul lays out to share not only the gospel, but to also live out, our ver- to share our very lives as well? How do we make this way of biblical hospitality something that we actively pursue? Well, if you're an application type of person, the rest of the sermon is all application. So here we go. Buckle up and hold on. The first way is to start small. Because I believe so often hospitality can be really hard. It can be difficult to engage. And oftentimes we have to get over our own personal hurdles. Many of us, you hear about hospitality and something goes off in your mind immediately and the excuse train starts going to town, right? Like, well, what if they don't like me? Or what if my house is a wreck? But then I'll have to cook. Or we have kids. I don't like to entertain. My house is too small. Well, the good thing about hospitality is that it's not about an image. Instead, it's about sharing your life with others. And people crave authenticity. They want transparency more than anything these days. So go ahead and invite people over to your messy, cluttered homes. Don't worry about throwing all the stuff in the junk drawer or piling it into the closet. They want to see that they're also not the only ones that have cluttered houses and stuff. Invite them in. What a vulnerable act of hospitality that might be. Also, hospitality is not about entertaining It's about engaging. People want to see that they aren't the only ones with these crazy frantic lives. Chaos is everywhere. It's nice to know that they're not the only ones. I was sitting around the pool this uh, past summer with some of our neighbors. We were getting to know them just a little bit more. And um, our kid, we have kids about the same age. And one of my neighbors, she she turns to my wife and I, and (laughs) it's really funny. She says, how on earth are your kids so well behaved? And I about choked, like laughing so hard. I was like, Whose kids are you talking about? She said, yours. And I said, please come over to our house. Now, the pool has since shut down. You know, fall happened and all of a sudden it got cold outside. And so we've begun to have some play dates and and kids over and stuff like that. And she's been invited to our home. We had a, a kitchen renovation that went 
like absolutely horribly this past summer and it was like wow that's still going on and she kept coming over and coming over and she would see our kids like fighting with each other and bickering with one another and like I love my kids to death but they do that um and if you have the the perfect children please give me your recipe but um I believe that through Libby coming over and seeing our kids acting the way that they do she was at peace she was like oh wow my kids aren't the only ones that are crazy and fight nonstop. Now, if you don't have space to be hospitable, you can also leverage common places outside of a home, like parks or coffee shops or restaurants, and you can still practice biblical hospitality in doing so. What if about eight weeks from now, when our coffee bar is, is uh, finished with the renovation to that, by the way, thank, thank you all for uh, your patience, as many of our exits and entrances have, have been closed down for this construction project. But, you know, imagine eight weeks from now, this coffee bar is renovated and the space is open and you have time and openness in your schedule. And um, you want to, instead of going down to one of the, the restaurants or coffee shops down the road, you say, hey, why don't we go and gather around the fireplace that'll go, that's going to be out there? And why don't we sit down and just get to know each other? Or what if you were to invite somebody to church with you? What a great way of practicing hospitality and going out to lunch together and hearing their story. What if your house or apartment or condo or dorm became known as that house because you constantly had people over all the time and people, your neighbors are starting to wonder, what is it that those people are doing all the time? Why they have people over? Like, it's crazy. I, like, they're almost jealous in a way because they constantly see people coming and going from your house and they want to be a part of that. Where do you start? Well, here are a few uh, ways that I believe that you can begin to have a lifestyle of hospitality. And the first is to start with who you know. Start with who you know. Every day you pass people who could be blessed through your hospitality. It could be a coworker, it could be a teammate, it could be a classmate. Begin to build intentional relationships where you already are and invite them, invite them into your fortress of solitude. The next way is to take what's normal and to make it intentional. Take what's normal and make it intentional. So let's say you frequent a coffee shop and you see the same barista every single morning. Get to know that person's name. Get to know the fellow gym goer or that other mom that's sitting there down a few seats down from you on the sidelines at the soccer game. And, and get to know the people that maybe God is placing in your path. Say, hey, I'd love to get to know your story. Tell me a little bit about you. What are some things you love? And then invite them in. A third way, I believe, is that we can focus on those who live close to you. Now I'm turning our attention into our immediate neighbors. Be willing to initiate with them. You see, we can't sit around and idly wait for them to come to us. Sometimes we have to actually go to them. How many of us, if we would be willing to admit, we might have a neighbor, maybe even like directly in our vicinity across the street or beside us, that we have no idea who they are. Like you just know them by their first or last name, but you don't know anything about them. You might not even know their name and you've lived there for 15 years together. You know, I think that we have to sometimes begin the conversation and it's okay to go up to, to somebody and say, hey, I know that we've lived beside each other for X amount of years, but I'd love to just get to know you a little bit better. What would you think about coming over after work one day? I'd love to, you know, treat you, treat you to something. Get to know you a little bit better. The second way is go outside. Do it often. Do it daily. Do it consistently. But allow your neighbors to actually see you and, and, and be present out in your community. Now it's hard this time of year, especially when it's rainy. Like I'm not asking you to go put an umbrella up and just like, you know, wave to everybody or anything like that. 
But maybe, I, I, I heard somebody actually state, this was kind of a cool, cool idea to me. So um, for, for those who enjoy grilling in the room, where does the grill reside at your house? In the back, right? Outside, around the back. This guy, he actually intentionally rolled his grill up to the top of the driveway and he threw on a couple extra hot dogs and hamburgers. And as people were coming by and the nice weather, like spring, t- I'm, I'm thinking like springtime is the way that I envisioned this happening, um, summer. As people were walking by, walking the dogs, he would throw an, throw an extra hamburger or hot dog on and say, hey, can I, can I get you one as he's making one for his whole family? And they're like, yeah, I want a hot dog. And he would like begin to get to know their story and get to know them and say, hey, you know, what would you think about coming over sometime? And he was amazed at what God did through simply putting an extra hot dog on the top of his dri- at the top of his driveway. Another way is utilize technology. Consider hosting a watch party for the next big game that's coming on. Uh, if you're an ACC fan, I heard there's something maybe going on on Saturday. I'm not sure um, between two big rivalries. Um, but you can utilize technology, borrow or rent a projector when it gets nice outside, and throw a movie up for your neighborhood. Put something on that's kid friendly. Invite in your neighbors and say, "Hey, I'd love to have everybody over and get to know you a little bit better." Utilize your technology. And one of the things that I love about the Bible, as, as I'm reading through and seeing stuff, I believe that God loved food. Like, we, we see in Genesis that God, like, created this massive garden and had, like, all these amazing trees that Adam and Eve could eat from. He said, just don't eat from that one. They kind of messed that up. But, you know, like, he loved food. We see that when Jesus is reclining at the table, they're usually, like, meeting over food. I love this about God. But unless you're fasting, meet over food because everybody eats. And this is a great way to practice hospitality. It's not that hard to get an extra pound of meat and maybe have like Taco Tuesdays, where you are intentional about having over a different neighbor every single day. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's it's somebody else you want to target and get to know, get to know their story, and and have them over for Taco Tuesdays, meat over food. Or, lastly, what if you decided to become a much-needed small group leader? Now, David Holcomb, he's right here. You can see him out in the, the coffee bar. Um, he'll be at the Resource Center after this is over. But I guarantee that he would love it if like half of you all today decided to become small group leaders and were like, hey, I want to utilize my home to be on mission. And you found a nucleus of people that started up a new small group with you. And each one of you all began to target your coworkers and say, hey, what would you think about coming over to my home every Thursday night? And having a little Bible study with us. It's very informal. We'd love to get to know your story. We do icebreakers. Kids are going to be downstairs in the basement with a babysitter. And we would love to just have you over and explore God's word together. That is a beautiful way to explore this idea of biblical hospitality. So the end goal here, though, is not about hospitality. It's not about hosting people in your home as much as it is to use your home as a place to display and to speak the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, he was a famous Baptist preacher. He was known as the prince of preachers. He said that every Christian is to either is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What that means is that we need to be living out what it means to be a Christian every day of our lives. Our mission as ambassadors of Christ is to share the good news of Jesus' work through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And this is the true hope of the world. As I mentioned um, earlier, this past summer I was putting some blinds up in our kitchen. Fi- the kitchen was finally coming together and I got a ring 
on the, at the doorbell, and, and oddly enough, my reaction was not like that cat. Um, I, I kind of went to the door and found my neighbor uh, there, and he was saying, hey, hey, Brian, how you doing? He knew that I was a pastor on staff here at River Oaks, and he asked if I could pray for him. He, he began to share that uh, I invited him in, and he began to share that he had some really concerning um, news regarding his health that he was really, really worried about. And he was asking if I could be in prayer for him. He was asking if um, we, we could lift him up. And his wife gave me updates the very next day. Luckily, he did not need um, a, this bypass that he was really worried about. Instead, he got stints um, that, w- that were able to help um, get, get him back to the, the working condition that he needed to be in. Um, but he was, here's the beautiful thing about this story, the reason I'm sharing, is what if every single one of our neighbors in this room knew what it was that we believed? And what if our neighbors came and rang the door, doorbell or gave us a text or gave us a call and said, would you pray for me? Because I have this going on at work. Because my family member is going through this. Because our marriage is really at a rocky point. And they sought us out because they knew that we cared. That's what hospitality looks like. And here's the truth for anybody who's a Christian. You were once dead. Like, dead. Now, I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually, and we're talking about this Soul Shaper book, right? So we're talking about our souls here. And if you were to, like, hook up a, an EKG machine, um, everybody knows the little, like, thing with the, the that, you want to see that, you don't want to see that type of thing, okay? So... Um, if you were to hook up the EKG to your soul before you meet Christ, that would be a flat line. Like there is nothing that you or anybody else in your vicinity could possibly do to shock that line into rhythm. But because of God's great love for us and because of what he did by giving us his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, that line was shocked into rhythm. And all of a sudden, we began to grow. And that line, that pulse begins to grow and to get bigger and stronger because of what Christ has done for us in our lives. And here's what I believe. Our salvation, that shock, that, that, that moment that God comes into our lives, our salvation is the fuel that fans the flames of a hospitable lifestyle. And God has changed your life. If you are in Christ, your old you should look vastly different from your new you, who you are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. I know I certainly am not, but there should be something different about us. And if Christ has truly done that for you, you should long for others to have this exact same transformation. They too, others in your vicinity, can come to know the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. I'm talking about the coworker who gets under your skin at work. I'm talking about the neighbor whose dog doesn't ever seem to be quiet at three in the morning. I'm talking about that, co- that person that you meet at the grocery store. These people can be saved and enjoy an eternity of God's hospitality, all because of the work that Jesus has done. And you can be a part of making that happen. And this is how you can simply step into changing the world. As you begin to seek out ways to become more intentional with those whom God has placed in your path, I believe that it's really important to build relationship. Now, this is me here, all right? This is opinion. I believe it's important to build relationship. Don't just have them over to entertain and, and to like, yeah, the game was really fun. Um, but instead, to be intentional and, and begin to think about ways that you can talk about your faith. Now, also, it's really important, I believe, to not just do the bait and switch thing, where like as soon as all the dishes are put over by the sink, the meal's over, you, you, you turn the conversation and you say, now let me tell you about my, my Savior, Jesus Christ, and why, why I love him so much. And you know, 
people will sniff that out. It's almost like a, a Cutco knife salesman like coming over and pulling out his Cutco knife blaster 4000 and telling you why you should buy it, right? Like, I believe that it's a more about relationship. That we can begin to ask deep and meaningful questions. And maybe it's good to ask questions that foster um, dialogue. Here's one, here's one thing that Deuteronomy says in, in, in um, Deuteronomy 31. So many times I believe we can get scared, we can get nervous about what to say or how to say it. We, we go through this process and all of a sudden these, these neighbors are going to come over at 7 o'clock and you're like frantic, what do I, what do I say? Deuteronomy 31, it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. God is going to honor the invitation of you being taking that opportunity to reach out. So it's the Lord who's going to go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. God is going to be with you. He might even give you opportunities through the Holy Spirit where you're saying things like, wow, I had no idea how was it. I, 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 that's, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit talking through me. Now, there's also some opportunities, I believe, where we can maybe dodge the, the awkward, like, uh, cringeworthy stage of having somebody over, like, parents in the room. You probably get this, like, your kid comes home from school and you say, how was school today? Good. <laughs> okay, like, would you like to say anything else about how school was? No. You know, open, open dialogue questions, these open-ended questions will really help foster good, question, uh, good dialogue with you. So maybe you can ask questions like, how long have you lived in this area? What's your experience been like? What's your favorite sports team? Why'd you start pulling for them? And if it's a bad sports team, why did you start pulling for them? What's your favorite local restaurant? How did you, how often do you get to go there? What's your favorite thing on their menu? How do you, how many kids do you have? What are their personalities like? What kinds of hobbies do you enjoy? What's your favorite movie or music or TV show? These are great open-ended questions. And here's the thing, be a really good listener as they're sharing these things. Be quick to let the, the conversation be about them. Don't be like, well, that's a terrible movie. Let me tell you about my favorite movie, you know, and like immediately. But maybe you begin to ask the questions and they turn the conversation over to you. Well, what kind of hobbies do you like? I would begin to make my, intention, my conversation intentional. And I might say something along these lines. Well, I love that you enjoy those hobbies. That sounds like you have a lot of like really great things that you're into. Um, for me, I, I like to play drums, and I started playing drums when I was in sixth grade, middle school band, and then in seventh grade, my parents got me my first drum set, and then I began to get involved with our youth worship band, and, and, and doing that, I actually became more involved with a touring worship group, and we would go around to different churches and camps and lead worship through high school and college, and it was actually through that that I really began to grow in my faith. I felt like God was really doing a mighty work in my heart, like I was, had this passion but God was doing something much bigger and greater than that in my life, and it ultimately led me into becoming a minister, where, where I'm on staff at a church down the road named River Oaks. What about you? Do you go to church anywhere? Are you involved in any kind of faith-based? You know, like, that type of thing is a great, soft way to just begin to turn the conversation inward to something that has much more meaning and much more purpose. And here's a pro tip. If you're anything like me, sometimes you may, like I have this inward demon, like sometimes I'll wake up at three in the morning, the conversation's over, the neighbors are long gone, and um, thank goodness if it's three in the morning, right? Um, it, it, but, but like I, I wake up and I begin to think like, man, I wish I had said this. 
I, or may, I can't believe I said that out loud. I should have never said that. You know, like we, we begin to play these games and maybe it's that you feel like you should have said something else that you didn't get around to. Maybe if that was a neighbor that you invited over or you're, you're a, na- uh, a, a neighbor that you see maybe frequently or a coworker, maybe you can go up to them the next time you see them and say, hey, I remember when, we, when you were over a couple weeks ago, you mentioned this. And I wanted to actually like mention one more thing I forgot. And all of a sudden, boom, just like that, you're right back in the conversation. It's a great way to just keep that conversation going, to, to talk about what was mattering a lot to what mattered a lot to them. And here's a few last ways that I begin in closing that you can leverage your home for God's mission. The first one of those is that you can begin to invite single people into your family rhythms. Uh, if you have dinner, maybe how beautiful would that be if you knew of somebody that was single or maybe has been through a recent bad breakup or something like that? Invite them over for dinner. Let them um, see what it's like to be a part of a family. Um, or maybe if you are single, maybe you could go over and ask somebody that you feel like has a really strong biblical marriage. Hey, I, I don't want to entertain, I don't want to invite myself over, but I wanted to like surround myself with people and pick the brain of somebody that I feel like has a really strong marriage. Would you be willing to maybe do dinner sometime? And I guarantee that anybody in the right mind would say yes, that would be so great, right? Because you're, you're going to begin to get to know what it's like to have a strong marriage for your future. Or live out what the Bible says, to care for widows and to care for widowers. Invite them in to your, to your family, to your gatherings. You, they, you might be worried about your kids and all the crazy stuff that's going on, but they know. They would love to be a part of that. Care for orphans. The need for foster families and adoption is growing by leaps and bounds. So what if you considered this as a way of loving strangers by taking children, foster kids, even adoption, p- taking these strangers into your home and inviting them in to become family? And lastly, intentionally welcome neighbors from abroad. The Greek word, we started off with the Greek, we're going to end with the Greek. Remember hospitality? The Greek term is actually Philo, Xenos. Philo, Xenos. Now, Philo is where we get the term uh, for Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. If you've ever heard of Philadelphia being the city of brotherly love, that's where the Greek term comes from, all right? Now, Xenos is the word that we get for strangers. Now, sometimes we might have, uh, you might have heard of the, the cultural term xenophobia. That's where we have this fear of other people, fear of strangers, fear of those who do not look or act like us. All right, so we're going to take the opposite here. It's not going to be the, the phobia of Xenos, but it's going to be the lovers of, the philo. We want to invite those who look different from us in. So culturally speaking, imagine for a second if you got moved because of work or you became a missionary or something like that to a culture that was completely not like the one that you're in right now. Imagine that you're in a new country and imagine somebody that wants to all of a sudden say, hey, I see you. I'd love to have you over. And then imagine the love and community that you might find from doing so. Now take your own context and apply that to somebody who might look different or act different from you. Philo Zenos. It's my hope that in moving forward, you would come to realize that the simplest way to change the world is to leverage your ordinary life for God's history sweeping mission of hospitality. And that one day, we would all surround our lives around Christ as Lord, and that we will one day sit at this table that we were originally created to sit at, the one where our creator currently sits. 
All of our desires will be met completely like a cup running over. And all of the effects of sin and death and evil will be gone and done away with for good. And Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as good as that sounds, we're not there yet. That's one day. But God is telling us in the meantime, we have a little bit of work to do. We have neighbors, we have coworkers, we have other people in our circles that God has placed in our path for a reason. Let's live in view of this eternal banquet table and pray for our friends, coworkers, and anybody else that God has placed in our path. Let's use our homes to be a small representation of the final banquet table. Places where believers will gather around food and drink that God has graciously provided, celebrating that God has brought us into himself and opened that sacred space to which all who are far from him can enter. Let's become relentlessly, relentlessly warm and welcoming as we were first welcomed by Christ. Doing so might just be the simplest way that we can change the world. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for an opportunity to open up your word. We thank you that one day every knee will bow before you. Lord, transform our hearts and break our hearts for what breaks yours. Allow us to have the lenses to view our community, to view our neighbors, to view those who are far from the way that we look or act or, or appear to be invited in and to find community and allow us to love others as we love ourselves. Allow us to push past the excuses and to live as the church in Acts did, a church that was on mission, a church that grew daily by the numbers, those who were being saved because of the work that you do in and through them. Allow us to be such a church, Lord. Allow River Oaks even um, if 95% of us went out and pursued this this week, how changed our communities would be. Be with us, Lord, for those who find this hard or difficult. Give us your words. Give us your sense of peace. And be with us as we take these steps, small steps, to become people on mission of hospitality. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.